Welcome back to The Underdogs, a podcast dedicated to covering the twists, turns, laughs, and tears of the Emmy Award-winning Apple TV series, Ted Lasso. For, for those new, uh, hopefully you've been listening along the way, but in case you haven't, and you're starting at Season 2, Episode 7, for some godforsaken reason, uh, this is a, a, a podcast that follows the structure, and that structure is this. We do a brief episode overview, followed by a three-word episode review. Uh, we then analyze what happens on the pitch, what happens off the pitch, and you break down the main theme of the episode. Uh, of course, we follow this with a bit of pub trivia. These are, you know, little nuances and, and notes that I pick up on my rewatches. And then finally, we establish who firmly won the episode with a winner, winner football dinner. Uh, Brandon, this is a tried and true structure that we just love. So today we are covering season two, episode seven, Headspace. The last time that we were together, we recapped, obviously, episode six, The Signal. This was loaded uh, name for the episode as the coaching staff gave the signal to Jamie to return to his best form. And Dr. Sharon understood the signal from Ted as he finally asked to make an appointment to begin treatment for his panic attacks. Episode seven, Headspace, is all about developing these storylines further and might be one of the best written episodes of the season. So... Uh, that's not all, Nick. We do have a request of our lovely listeners. We're always asking you for something, damn it. And this is this is one of those times. But engage with us on social media. We are at pod underdogs, all one word. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever you want to do uh, to kind of engage with us and, and build uh, these uh, references out a little bit further that you'll see in this one, I think would be fantastic. All right. Well, let's jump into the episode the best way we know how with a three-word episode review. Here we go. As we always kick it off, we're going to do our three-word episode review. Um, these are all pretty much the same, I'd say, for the most part. But uh, <laughs> I said it hits real deep Uh uh, I thought about going deep track, something like that. But again, it, a lot of feelings in this episode, and uh, it definitely wasn't always comfortable. Uh, Dan, what about you? Well, you see Roy reading a book, a Dan Brown book in this episode, and he talks about how short the chapters are. You can't put them down. This this episode had Dan Brown pacing because it moved through the scenes so damn quickly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was that was... Uh, machine gun rounds. You can't put it down. It just keeps <laughs> going. It's his comedic acting on that little bit. Oh, it's so good. Uh, my three word match review, match review, episode review is denial, anger, acceptance. I think you start to see the five stages of grief uh, referenced in this episode quite a bit. We'll talk about that in a second, but I think those are the three stages that most uh, prominently feature uh, in this episode. Yeah. And again, like that was only a part of it. Like it, it was almost masked by the, this other storyline that went on again, just so much was in this one. So, uh, our main theme for this episode was the truth shall set you free. And again, this episode revolves around a couple of main storylines, Dr. Sharon building trust with Ted, which was very much needed. And then Keely having the confidence to communicate her needs to Roy and just telling him to fuck off for a little <laughs> bit. And so let's start with Ted and Sharon. Uh, they sparred for three rounds in this episode, Dan. There was very much part one, part two, part three to this bout all the way through. And uh, as Nick rightly wrote here, the first round is all about denial. I mean, my gosh, how uncomfortable was that <sighs> watching him trying to get Ugh. settled in her office? I mean, 
Yeah, this is uh, in a land where they have not transitioned the doctor-patient relationship to a FaceTime or Zoom-level relationship. And like many, many people who may have started uh, some level of uh, therapy over the pandemic, where you at least have the comforts of, you know, potentially your, your home or a space that is more inviting. You know, Ted is facing someone who is asking him to open up to be available and he just gets fixated on what's going on at the desk where should i sit in the room what's the best chair to be in maybe i should lay down flat like they do in the new yorker cartoons and just like all these things that are there to prolong getting to the root cause of the problem which i mean gets us you know into you know helps us transition from that denial first scene nick to then getting us you know further down the emotional spectrum yeah i mean if if you've ever gone to therapy and been nervous about opening up to someone this hit home for a lot of people you know i like just not knowing you know it's like ricky bobby like i don't know what i to do with my hands right like uh, it's it, it was it was a really great piece of acting by Jason uh, Sudeikis, who, who I think is a wonderful actor and clearly shown in this episode was unbelievable uh, in, in the way that he portrayed his character's kind of denial, anger and acceptance. But, uh, you know, I think the, the thing that kind of caught me, Brandon, was the little like bird metronome thing that he started playing with uh, on the desk. And that kind of became a symbol of, you know, throughout these three stages of where his brain was, right? It was kind of a signifier for like really, really active, kind of active, and then still, right? And as you go through, that became one of those little symbols that I thought was really cool and really well done for the way they shot this office scene. Yeah. So, again, nothing really productive happened in in this first encounter. Uh, It's very much... You know, I would assume of almost like bringing a new pet home for the first time. Just needs to kind of sniff all the corners and see Walk see around, what the perimeter yeah. is. Yeah, and then he bolted right before they could even really get anywhere. And uh, that that was step one. And then the second step uh, was anger, right? As you talk about denial, anger, and then acceptance. And here, Nick, it was. I mean, he is he's upset. He doesn't want to be there, and he kind of goes in on her and her profession. You know, and she barely just you know, kind of towed the water a little bit and he very quickly put up the walls. Yeah, I mean, what I what I love about this is you don't see Ted angry often. So when you see it, it's impactful, right? He's clearly not having a good day. He's clearly dealing with stuff uh, that he's thinking about his family back home and he's thinking about his team and he's thinking about different dynamics and he's thinking about his panic attacks and the fact that, yeah, I think he got mad at himself for not being able to to go into the first appointment and be able to do anything. And so he comes back and he tells Dr. Sharon, I don't quit. Like That's not who I am as a person. So I'm going to keep coming back until I get this thing right. But I think, Dan, it was really interesting in, some, in the way that he characterized her profession that alludes at some deeper stuff that they're going to get into in future episodes to me. It's the defensive wall that he is built and constructed and what does it mean to have a relationship where you're looking for help and seeking help, but you're having to 
pay to do it, right? And then there's just a there's a whole uh, host of issues with trying to solve, you know, mental you know related issues or problems where there's a cost associated with it. But there's also a need to, you know, pay people in the profession so that you have that resource available. And it definitely feeds a a very vicious mental cycle for Ted Lasso's defense of why. Dr. Sharon isn't the right person to hear him out, why he's not the, you know, this is not some saintly mission that she is on, but rather just a transactional relationship between problem and person. Yeah, I mean, she she says, Brandon, I'm only interested in the truth, Ted. And then Ted goes on a bit of a rant. Yeah, he says, quote, I think it's bullshit. You don't know me. We don't have a history. You just expect me to spill my guts about all the gory details of my life. You aren't listening to me because you care. You only listen to me because you're paid to listen to me, end quote. And that's kind of where it is. Ted is a relationship guy. We've always known that. He wanted to build relationship with his players. That's why him and Beard go everywhere together on these coaching jobs because he trusts him. They know each other. And and Ted is a deep guy. You don't get surface little Ted. And we saw that when he was trying to build rapport with Rebecca in season one. Mm -hmm. You get all of him. And... He wants to make sure that he's getting all of Dr. Sharon as well before he just, you know, opens up. It's it is a very good piece of acting. I and, it, and I think share like he is sharing with the audience what I think the audience can sometimes feel uh, about this profession. Although then uh, in the acceptance piece uh, does get absolutely unequivocally. NBA jam style dunked on by Dr. Sharon, which is uh, another, you know, I think their on-screen chemistry is is wonderful in the way they react to each other. Oh, and it's pent up tension, Dan, to this point, right? I mean, we're on what, episode seven, and she came in episode one, like, we've been building to this. We've talked about this for many episodes, and here it is, the big showdown, final boss Dr. Sharon. Uh, but she broke through to him. She said, let me ask you something. Would you coach for free? And of course he says, yes, I would. Duh. She says, but do you? He says, no, ma'am. And she comes back, says, and you care about your players, right? He said, yes, ma'am. And then here comes the dunk quote, just because I'm a therapist or a therapist being paid doesn't mean that they don't care or, you know, then why would you assume it's any different for me? She's saying you care about your players, yet you get paid to coach them. That means I can care about my patients, even though I get paid by them. Um, and <laughs> and that's when it all kind of clicked. And again, just I think this shows that she's experienced in what she does. She's gotten this probably pushback millions of times and she's learned to overcome it and not just overcome it with a standard objection uh, answer, but a way that connects with Ted and so that he immediately is disarmed and and probably hopefully we'll see in the next episode uh a willing participant in the therapy it, it also reminds me dan just really quick it reminds me of when ted blew up at nate in season one and then in the in the very next scene where they're getting ready to go out against everton pulls him aside and says look man i blew that i'm sorry like you know very apologetic it shows that you know making the apology matters he does a very very similar thing here with her Right. That, you know, he does make a point to apologize that he wasn't in a good headspace. And I think that allows them to get past the previous stuff and move on to what the actual problem is, which isn't 
you know, him blowing up. Well, he comes as someone who is contrite and repentant for what he has said previously. He goes back to the ma'am or the more formal type of response to her rather than the doc or, you know, something more whimsical that he starts with in the first you know, first elements, then he gets into the more serious and now he's transmissions back to the respect for the position and a need to seek her out for what she can actually help him with. I think she then does something really great um, to, to even further their relationship by saying self-care can be scary. Fight or flight it can be a natural response. You just happen to do both. Uh, impressive range, really. And so there's a little bit of levity so in, you know, in, injected here because that's what it's been, right? He flew at first, and then he fought with her, and now they're kind of coming back to this you know, semblance of you know, starting from square run, one, Brandon, which is, is where they need to start from. Like, he's not going to trust her immediately. He's going to need some time. So we got three at-bats in the episode, and we feel like we finally made some progress. In, and again, hopefully it will uh, you know, move. But that's when the cherry on top came, the quote, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off, end quote. And I think we're, we're clearly seeing that live uh, with those two. Well, that I mean, I think accented by the part where she puts the tissues down in front of him and he throws them against the wall as hard as he can, just kind of shrugs at her, and they have a little bit of a laugh at it. Like, they, again, this is the beginning. It's not the end. Like, they have to, you know, they're starting now uh, on the relationship, and we only anticipate we're going to see this in future episodes build and build and build, and it probably will be a two-steps-forward, one-step-back type of scenario because that's the way that a lot of these therapy relationships go. All right, next up is, similarly, Keely and Roy go through three rounds as well. So, uh, again, although we covered a lot of um, Ted and Sharon, a lot of the episode actually focused on Roy and Keeley or maybe people talking to Keeley about Roy in the episode. So uh, their first round was denial, where Keeley gets annoyed that she doesn't have any space from Roy. Now that they work and live together, she bottles up her emotions instead of talking to Roy about it. And realistically, Dan, I mean, it's kind of funny because... They really paint Roy out to be just a super sappy, super attached, like, boyfriend that I don't think I was ready or expecting to see from him. So in preparation, I actually uh, looked into this a little bit. Uh, and again, uh, preparation for a pop culture podcast. It can happen. Um, <laughs> but the so actually the episode of TV that we see Keely watching later, which is a uh, Sex of the City episode, is called The Good Fight. And apparently the actual mirroring of that fight that happens in that episode is kind of similar to how like there was a need for a little bit of a blow up for there to be an opportunity to heal and to advance forward in understanding one another, uh, similar to the episode that Keely just wants to watch on the damn TV uh, with him away from her. And so, uh, yeah, just it, it was a really interesting way to, again, they use other types of pop culture in and brought them into the show, Nick, to really help just kind of frame where they are, what they're trying to go through. Because, again, they went from having the perfect relationship to now not having a moment apart ever because they work in the same building. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, what's interesting about the den- denial, anger, and acceptance piece for, for these two is that they are pretty open communicators, right? You don't see a whole lot of pulled punches from these two. And so the fact that Keeley's starting to bottle up some of this angst about not having any space to really operate on her own or any free time to herself is kind of weird. And so, you know, the, you know when she's in the, in the boot room and she's smoking because, you know, that's a anxiety uh reducer for and she she's able to kind of just get a moment to herself and then of course the comedy trope of everybody coming into the boot room to hang out with her to discuss roy happens she she gets defensive about it she's like no roy's perfect she's the cat's pajamas all this kind of stuff and it and of course bottling all this stuff up you know they they reference pickles and messages and bottles and all this kind of stuff leads brandon to her blowing up because she has to, there has to be a release point where she lets him know uh, about her desire to have space by herself. But again, we see this community, this collective, you know, Keely's trying to talk up Rebecca about her relationship and then it gets flipped back to her. And again, how many times does Roy walk into the room? You all talking about me? (laughs) Like, yeah. And it's funny. Like some people will be like, yeah, another half of the group be like, no, because they don't want to get in conflict with, with Roy as well. So, um, again, it's like the diamond dogs, but like bigger, like, I don't know, insert Marvel thing here, the Avengers. I don't know. Right. But it's everybody. (sighs) (sighs) All right. For those at home with that, Brandon has not participated in that part of society yet, but someday he's really going to love it. It's going to be great. I don't know. Superheroes collect anyways. Uh, (laughs) Hmm. What? Anyway, uh, the the last part, though, is is one of the sweeter moments on the show in a couple of different ways. The acceptance piece. Jamie, of all people, of all people on this show or on this planet for Roy, eventually helps Roy understand through football training terms that Keeley needs space. He makes the analogy that, like, no, when when the ball goes to a striker in the box, I need to pull the, a defender away to give him space, right? Like so, he makes that, and then Jan Moss, who comes in, uh, is the Dutch guy who's just nothing but straight and and uh, uh, just uh, the straight man just goes through and says, "No, actually, Jamie's right. You you have to give him space, otherwise, it's going to get too crowded in there." You see this unbelievable reaction as Roy's processing Dan. Um, as he's hearing what's going on, he's like, ah, fuck. You know, and it's just one of his best uh, fucks that he's ever said on the show. Yeah, I don't know if we've done a uh, ranking of the best <laughs> use of the, uh, maybe that's a end of season yes. uh, type of party activity. But uh, Roy's use of foul language is always quite well appreciated mm-hmm. because it is. While it is common, it always tends to serve as the exclamation point for a conversation in this one where he says it and then just pivots and starts walking away from work in the middle of the day just to go fix the problem that he's created for himself. Again, Roy Kent is just dedication personified, always head in the game. Oh, Classic Ted Lasso and just their team, right, is not only do they have a great on-screen performance, they go and help the rest of us engage and interact with it. 
So you can actually listen to the Roy is sorry for not understanding Keely playlist on Apple Music. And why not? I mean, classic, it's on Apple TV, now it's on Apple Music. But again, the fact that they went ahead and did that was just next level and big brain move, obviously, Nick. And yeah, I just applaud that moment. The advertising guy in me is very happy about this. I love I love marketing integrations. But I mean, we need to set up the scene previously, right? That that leads to the playlist. Roy un- finally gets it through his head that she needs space, right? And he does everything he can, like sets up a really nice bath and all this kind of stuff. And they have a really great, sweet resolution scene. And, you know, Juno Temple and Brett Goldstein have a wonderful a wonderful relationship on camera. I mean, it is, it's electric and again, kind of shows how an adult relationship should uh, function, right? One person screws up, even if they don't know they're screwing up and they figure it out for themselves and then they make an effort to accommodate the other person's needs. I mean, that's just part of, of growing up and, and being a part of the relationship relationship. So to me, I thought that was a really sweet scene, obviously a nice resolution. We all want these two to to continue on and not be broken up, uh, even, even though it kind of looked like that might happen for a minute. Uh, to, and, and I think both of these storylines, right, the therapy storyline and the relationship storyline, this show does amazing work, but showing cultural touchstones, things that people are going through in their everyday lives and highlighting those you know, how to get over fear of therapy or how a healthy relationship can work. These are just positive examples for society to latch onto and and consider more normal than maybe some of the other types of things that happen on TV, Dan, where it's like people just easily break up for no reason, for example. Um, This is a whole different ballgame and I think is really healthy. Well, it's also probably about a year. If we think about like the time of the show from when these two started being in a relationship to where they are now. And so it's even though it's pictured as being one of the more stable relationships in the show, it's still very young, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly in comparison to uh, Leslie and his wife in terms of the the Higgins relationship, you know, this is the second most stable, you know, romantic relationship on the show that we're getting a chance to be privy to. And again, just a, a chance to be kind of humbled by one another in terms of just learning from each other and being open and listening, which is, again, the same thing that had to happen to Ted. He had to be humbled. He had to be open to listening and once he was the true next step of that relationship could really begin and so i think it'll be even more interesting to see how now this new version of roy and keely can continues to move forward i couldn't be happier for these two and how they're handling (laughs) how they're handling this all um but again yeah perseverance uh teaching people give and take, you know, compromise, supporting the one person because he knows if he supports her, she's going to support the shit out of him and other things she do, she does. So uh, super, super excited to see this like positive um, example of, of this healthy relationship. But as we continue on to the kind of traditional show style we have on the pitch because uh, there was some more uh, on-field stuff going on, but it was about Nate the Hate this time. What in the world 
is going on with Coach Nate. So he's finally made his full heel turn in this episode to turn into Nate the Hate. And what we understand is that the lack of approval from his dad and negative comments on Twitter have made him angry at the world. He takes on those around him and he has some, now that he has like this credibility or a little bit of success, he's he's leaning into that very hard and taking it out on people he now feels like are smaller or weaker than him. When in reality that, I mean, that that's just a very different person. But we saw it in this episode with the scene as his dad in the newspaper. He didn't, he didn't care at all. Yeah, I mean, this is the that's kind of his trigger point, right? While he's been a feel good character for a lot of this show, it's clear that a couple of things have happened. One, that he got a little too big for his britches after uh, helping Richmond reach the FA cup semifinal and being the wonder kid. And then two, that his relationship with his dad is a driving negative force in his life. He will never get approval from his dad, no matter what he does. Right. And so, Dan, I think the two people that he most consistently takes it out on uh, are Colin and Will. Colin, the the midfielder, and Will, the uh, new kit man. And I'll start with Colin. You take Will, because I think Will's actually more rich, because it's been a consistent theme this year. But we have to remember, Colin used to abuse Nate every day after training, right? So this is a relationship that's been tense for a long time. Now that Nate's a coach, the relationship has obviously changed, but he does some unbelievable negative um, work on Colin in this episode, uh, tells him that he's useless, tell him, tells him that he uh, isn't really good at football in, in a way that is conveyed through art, uh, which I thought was interesting. And then, you know, stops him from training with the rest of the team and, uh, what I think is really powerful about this moment is that Beard has had a really weird role in the season. I have not understood Beard's role at all. But for me, then Beard comes through as a clear superior to Nate and goes, you have to figure this shit out and you have to apologize. Like, you have to be better. Uh, I'm not going to tell Ted this is between us, but you can't do that at work. Like, that is not good enough. Uh, by any means, it was weird and personal and stuff like that. And so I love the fact that Beard kind of played White Knight a little bit, uh, Dan, and came in and, and tried to help curb some of those actions, although it did not exactly work all the time. Well, as the opposite, maybe, of Roy, who is filled with self-confidence to a point, it might blind him at times for that something might be amiss. Nate is essentially at this point doomed by the smallest of paper cuts cause a massive, uh, you know, hemorrhaging, you know, in the way that he responds and the way that he contains his emotions. You know, you look at the positive tweet, positive tweet, positive tweet, he scrolls through and it's the one negative one that sets him off. You know, there's the massive press clippings. There's the nationwide podcast and you know audio where people are saying all these positive things but it's the fact that his dad didn't have anything positive to say that sets him off uh, against colin and so will gets this abuse after what is really a sweet gesture like hey we put together a kit it has wonder kid on the back that is what you said even though you don't want to admit it everyone is telling you that is what you said um so and, and he takes it as a form of being embarrassed when really it's this way of Will trying to figure out how do I 
connect with someone who maybe went on the path that I would want to be on in the future to advance in the world of football. He, he hasn't embraced this idea of being a mentor. You know, I think it's like the idea that like there are, you know, managers at work and they're like laying leaders or, you know, at work. And, you know, he is very much firmly in the, I'm a manager, I've got a title and I'm going to leverage my title to get done what I need to versus I have a responsibility to not just get the job done, but to the well-being of the people who look up to me and respond to me and report into what we're trying to accomplish. Brutal run right there, right? With the con and then the will thing and again just like i i was like fired up watching it you know i was like what the hell is this like get out of here um you know we see him on his phone the whole time he's no longer invested in the team he's not only invested in himself and mm-hmm. yeah we'll see where this goes but it is not a good place that i'm super happy that beard is like on top of it sees it um plays a little game with him you know where he just disappeared after he's like in his own office um but uh, i I love that beard is some sort of magical character mm -hmm. in this show like there there's something weird that they do with him but it's funny as hell yeah no absolutely so again uh dark days for nate and we'll have to see how it goes uh, off the pitch, the Sam Rebecca fling continues. Uh, so Rebecca is very <laughs> hesitant to text Sam back in the band trap. Obviously, she still doesn't know it is him. Uh, Sam and his teammates go crazy after their three dots appear in the app. I think we've all been there. <laughs> oh, I love responding. this part. Oh, no, they're not. This is this is so good, and and again connects with the culture, right? Which is, I think we've all had butterflies when three dots appear on the screen and you're like, Oh man, they're going to finally respond after all this time. And then the rest of the team kind of sighs with him, which is funny. Um, and then you had Yama saying, I think the most likely scenario is that she's lost interest in the relationship altogether. Just classic Dutch guy right there. You know, classic Jan. Oh man. <laughs> um, and then obviously we have a, um, uh, a flashpoint where they run into each other while Rebecca is maybe responding to the message or not. I was waiting for it. Like, oh shit, she's going to send it and then his phone's going to buzz and then they're going to look at each other. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Too soon, Brandon Busby. Too I, soon look, in the narrative. I'm ready for, for this to be unfold. over. I'm not looking forward to this <laughs> at all, as I said last episode. You don't believe in life after I, love. You don't believe in the dream. Love, love. I love love. <laughs> I love love. Um, anyways, we've never been more connected and yet further apart is like the phrase that he said and she was going to say. And I'm just like, stop. <laughs> like, I'm so uncomfortable <laughs> right now. Uh, will, they ev- will they ever discover each other's identities? Yes, they will. Does it happen next episode? Prediction time. Probably not. They're going to keep stringing it along. <laughs> Yep, I agree. Well, the next episode is called A Man City, and it's focused on the semifinals of the FA Cup. So I feel like the the flip of off-pitch to on-pitch is going to be pretty dramatic as we... <laughs> and I actually think it's set to be the longest episode so far. It's almost 40 minutes uh, right. in terms of the preview time on Apple TV. Well, look, uh, last time he had the guts to ask if they wanted to meet up was after beating Tottenham in the Cup. So really, Dan, a big win over City could push him over the edge. So I also, how many, how many banter message chats do you think he has going? Just the one, or is he juggling? Oh no! Don't 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 sow oh, that. Okay. What? Don't, don't 
I think my that's boy Sam. Don't you do that, Ricky Bobby? Dan? My boy Sam is getting play, man. Come on, Dan. Just because you were pre dating app, you just are disconnected. It's very normal <laughs> to juggle multiple conversations, playing the odds, stacking the deck. Anyways, oh boy, let's go ahead and hit the Crown and Anchor Pub trivia. The weird questions, observations that Nick specifically has pulled from this episode, and I couldn't be happier at the first question. Look, uh, the first one is an actual thing that exists in the world. You can go look it up. Um, and I encourage you to do that. I know it. Who are the Jerky Boys? And what is their significance to this episode? And society <laughs> um, in general, because it's just the same. In general, yep. Uh, the second question is, what is Sam's favorite film? Uh, this comes up a couple of times in this episode and is is used as a, as a uh, point of reference for Keeley to tell Rebecca to kind of fuck off a little bit and, and get back on the horse. Uh, the third question, uh, this was, this was so dumb, but I loved it. Where does Ted want that sweet, sweet O2 to get while the players are stretching a little bit of a, an inside baseball one there. And then the fourth one I thought was just a classic Roy line, uh, when he shouts whistle instead of blowing into a whistle (laughs) (laughs) or like, yeah. Uh, and and so the question is, why doesn't Roy use an actual whistle? Uh, he gives a very detailed explanation as to why. So uh, that's the that's this week's Crown and Anchor Pub trivia. There's only four of them because it was a pretty heavy episode. I didn't want to do too much on it, but those are four of the better ones. Absolutely. All right. Any surprises? I know Nick, you pulled another season one to season two continuation. Yeah, I loved uh, the the season one. Uh, you know, boxes that Nate made um, for you know to collect money for Sam, and uh, that you know I think they they brought his whistle out in in one of those boxes when he was made a coach. There's a leprechaun box on the table when he's talking to his dad, and he kind of does like the tongue thing at it which was funny so I, I like those little nuances and inflection points from season one i think that's great um what was it? i i had one but i have lost it immediately oh yeah nope maybe lost it dan i'll let you go and i'm sure i'll be ready by the time you're done <laughs> uh you know i think the uh the one thing that was interesting is uh will the kitman's name on the credits is actually will kitman <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I love that. That's a great find. Oh, that was uh, quite the quite the little just kind of added extra in the end. But uh, I, I did enjoy Roy reading Dan Brown and reacting to it was uh, just <sighs> just pure joy. Pure, pure Wasn't joy. It da Vinci Code. Yeah. yeah, I have read or it might have might have been that or Angels and Demons. Yeah, is one of the two. I, I've, I've actually read them, too. And it's just funny. Like, again, the way he's just genuinely pulled into it and you're just like you nerd shut up (laughs) (laughs) i can relate to keely's frustration uh all right winner winner football dinner to end the episode who won this one a bit of a split uh but dan and i we went roy kent nick with dr sharon so dan why are we right well we are right because Mm. i i think to the point that dr sharon was there to serve to help transition ted yeah, this was more getting Ted back into being a maybe star part of the show. Roy had to have an awakening moment. He had to change his style of behavior. Dr. Sharon's is doing the same damn thing. She's punching in, she's punching out, and she's going to get Ted across the end of the line either way because that's just who she is. She is a professional, 
capital P professional, Roy has to go through the moment of self-discovery and then uh, do do the damn thing to really improve the relationship and take it to another level. So, yeah, that's what uh, I'm going to two-footed tackle on that one, Nick. And, uh, yeah, done. Easy. Slam dunk. Just, win. just like Jamie Tart, you missed me uh, completely. And uh, Dr. Sherrod is the right answer. I'm going to lose this one two to one. But uh, while she didn't have the most minutes on screen, her work was more impactful. Um, again, to pull to pull Ted out of the depths that he's in right now and to be patient and to um, rationalize therapy with him and to uh, ensure that she's available, even though he isn't necessarily the nicest person in the world to her and has some real reservations about all this stuff. And to pull him from those depths is a, is a major, major effort. And uh, not for the first time, she will she will win again in this season. She will be tremendous uh, as, as the episodes progress. We only have five left, though. Five. Damn it. I think, uh, you know, as a guy watching Roy win and getting to uh, have a little sexy time in the bathroom while treating his girlfriend uh, to what she needs, that's enough as a win in my book. So well, but but also the playlist that they created is not three hours long. But he says oh, you're not going to hear me for three yeah. hours. Like is that thing get looped? What the hell? Come on, that, that's maybe the one one point of that's criticism. That's why Dr. Sharon should win. Damn it! I mean, <laughs> she gets paid. She gets paid for an hour's worth of work for only working 15 minutes. So that's called efficiency in your face, Dan. Very very efficient. All right, that's it for this episode of the Underdogs. Please connect with us at Pod Underdogs on social media to continue the chat there. And if you'd be so kind as to take 15 seconds to leave us a five star rating and review, that would mean the world to us. We'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>